Well, open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, and uh, you're going to have to listen fast today, all right? So uh, join with me as we look at this text. By the way, I, uh, you know, I left Jason a lot of things when uh, I rolled off as pastor. About $6 million in debt was one of them, but the other one was a terminology that we use employed on our staff because we recognize that everyone was doing ministry and pastoring. So we use the term pastor and, and minister throughout our staff without spiritual authority places. And uh, so I, if he gets in trouble with this, I'm the one to blame, okay? And, uh, but we believe this is going to work its way out in a positive way uh, in our denomination. Now, in Exodus chapter 16, there is a saying that many of us will use in life uh, very often, that there's only two things that are guaranteed in life. What are they? Death and taxes. Yeah, everybody knows taxes, okay? And, uh, but this morning, I want to add a third one to that list, and that's the word change. The reality is, is there was a day when life was static and not a lot changed. I remember doing a funeral for a little lady that had been born in the 1870s in a dugout in the panhandle of uh, Oklahoma. And I thought through the changes made in her lifetime over 80 or 90 years was significant, but nothing in comparison to the changes that's happening around us. And the reality is, if, if you're alive today, unless you have a cow and move to 40 acres in East Texas, you're experiencing change, challenges to your life. You're being forced into transitions, maybe not of your choosing. Maybe something's happening around you. I got forced into a transition this last year. I had two granddaughters that got married, okay? I didn't ever dream any boy would be worthy of them, okay? But uh, we did find two, Gannon and Michael. I sure like the guys, but it changed our whole life. Uh, we used to, we had a rotation for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so we got them every other year. Now we got other families, and they think they count whether they do or not, all right? And uh, so I came up with a new idea. We would just, so I said to everybody, okay, you, uh, you go wherever you can go on Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'm going to show up, all right, where I want to show up. We're going to do a week in the summer. And I'll buy the, rent the house, ride the food, even rent a boat, and you come. And we'll have fun together. And I said, no excuses for that. If you don't come that, I'm taking you out of the will. That'll cost you $37, all right? And uh, so, but we had a great time this summer. By the way, even though I told them this in January, I only got the whole crew for two out of six days, okay? And, but Sandy looks at me, you know, God gives you a wife to really keep you corrected. She said, instead of griping about them not all being there, why don't you just enjoy who you got when you can get them, okay? Can you believe she'd say that to me, all right? And, uh, but that's why God gave me a wife to do that, and I did that that time. But change happens around us. We're going to be studying the book of Exodus, and we're going to see a nation that's having to make incredible changes. Remember, they used to be slaves, and now they were going to be soldiers. They used to be people who were conquered by Pharaoh. Now they were going to become conquerors. They were people that, you know, they didn't have many decisions to make in life because their life was very, very simple. Suddenly, they were experiencing something they had never experienced before, freedom. And in that freedom, 
They were forced to begin to make their own decisions about life. They were forced to be in a place to provide for themselves rather than somebody else providing. They They were in the middle of the most incredible change in life that you have ever seen. And here they are. They've got to decide. Who are they going to follow? What are they going to do? And it's in the middle of this that God speaks to them and shows them a very simple biblical principle. If you rebel, you're going to have pain. If you surrender to me, I'm going to show you how I will open the windows of heaven and I will bless you. Now we're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 16. Look at these first few verses. Now they set out from Elam, that's just across the Red Sea, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, they'd been gone about 45 days, okay? And uh, the whole congregation of people grumbled against Moses. By the way, uh, you'll see that word grumble throughout this book. That word is not just a griping a little bit. It's a, it has a rebellious tone to it. There's a rebellious, hey, what are you doing? Why, how, why are you letting this happen? Well, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have just died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat at the meat pots and ate bread for the be full, and you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And look at this. The people shall go out and gather a portion every day that I may, circle this word right here, test them whether they will walk in my law, another word, surrender me or not. On the sixth day, they're to prepare uh, what they bring in. It will be twice as much together daily. Why? Because the next day is the Sabbath. What's going on right here? Certainly, as you look at this and you see their grumbling, it's very easy to step back and criticize them. By the way, they just experienced one of the greatest miracles mankind's ever seen. They had left Egypt and not empty-handed, gold and silver, prospered blessings out ahead of them. But what do you see? As we saw last week, three days into it, they're dying of thirst. God provides the water to teach them. Hey, you can grumble or you can pray. You got the choice. Well, in this particular situation, they're hungry. As Jason told us last week. Now, by the way, Jason says 85% of all made-up statistics are right. I believe his 100%, okay? Uh, 20 to 45 days after you don't eat, then you're going to start dying of hunger. The body cannot handle that much longer than that. And so what you see in this particular situation is they're in a very big crisis. Their kids, they're looking at their children, and their children don't have any food. Maybe they're crying at night. All kinds of things are going on. And by the way, they're, they're not in East Texas by waters and streams and beautiful forests where they can gather stuff. They're over in barren West Texas, okay? There's nothing out there. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing hardly that is growing. And suddenly, they are faced with this incredible hunger. And I want you to know, as I look at this, I'm aware that oftentimes in our lives, the transitions God brings us to can be very, very painful. They They can be devastating. They can feel like I have in my life, maybe like you've been hit in the face with a two before. And God's challenging you to approach life differently. It's something a whole lot more important than where you're going to gather for Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
I'm talking about some things happening in your life that's going to require of you something you may have never expressed in your life. Listen to this. It's going to require faith. That, that, that may be why some of you have even come to church this morning. There's some things going on in your life that, that you never thought would be there. And you're at the end of your resources. You're at the end of what you can provide, what you can do. And, and you don't know where to go. You don't know how, how to turn. You don't know what to do. And, and, and you've tried everything you know. And you're at a place in your life. If there's not a God in the heaven that provides for you, your life is going to be a mess. Well, that's what this text is speaking to. Speaking to circumstances where God requires of us faith. God requires of us to step into change and to deal with it. Now, by the way, God's not doing this because He's angry at us. He's doing this because He loves us. He's doing this because He wants something more for our life than we have experienced before. And what's going on within our life is this is a God who's wanting to expand us. Now, by the way, look at Israel. Israel was just a nation of slaves, a people who had nothing. And God has a promised land for them. He wants to birth out of them a Messiah. He wants to show them His power and His greatness. And they could have stayed in Egypt, and yes, they could have stayed there and died. The same is true for you. In your relationship with God, God wants to do something in your life that's supernatural. And His greatest way to bring that about in life is to put you and me in the middle of transitions, circumstances that require change, having to look at life with a new heart and a new mind and a new attitude, a place in our life that we could never handle before. And we're going to have to depend upon someone else to help us handle that. And what God's trying to say is that someone is himself, God, the creator of the universe. Let's look at what begins to happen out of this experience. Verse number six, if you would, okay? So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What me, Moses was saying. And in the morning you shall see, look at this phrase, the glory of God, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord for what, for, for what we are, that, that you grumble against us. And Moses says, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and, uh, and in the morning bread that it make you full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord. Look at this. He has heard your grumbling. Let me just stop right here. If you're in the middle of some pain today and you are grumbling to the Lord, the greatest news you have is He hears your grumbling. He feels your pain. He knows more than anybody in the world where you are. And what He says in this text, God's heard your grumbling. Now, did God swat him with the backhand of His hand? Did God bring down a plague and kill 10 million of them? No. What did He say? As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation... The people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, it was the glory of the Lord that appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God's saying to them a very simple biblical principle. If you want to rebel... 
spend your life griping and grumbling and complaining about life and making everyone miserable around you, you're going to experience the pain of that. Or you can discover a God who wants to bless you, who wants to bring down bread out of heaven, who wants to provide for you like you've never done it before. If you are willing to surrender to Him, He's willing to bring that into your life no matter what the circumstances. Now, I look at this situation and I realize there's two or three things that jump off the page. First word, it's a four-letter word, that, and four-letter words can sometimes be curse words. It's the word test. Said in verse 4, I'm about to test you. And guess what? That's what change does. New challenges in life. It tests you. Do you know what a test does? What a test does is show you what you know and what you don't know. What a test does is really define where you are. Now, sometimes you can do like me. You can flip a coin and and hope you get lucky with some things when you're taking a test. But in reality, a test brings about what knowledge is really in our mind, what's really going on within our soul. And what God does within our lives is He allows things or brings things to us, sometimes very naturally, sometimes supernaturally He brings them to us. And what He's doing is He's letting us be tested. So in the middle of that test, what he's going to do is show us where we really are in our faith. I mean, I I love this worship. It's really great to worship. Reggie Scott's my favorite worship leader in all the world, okay? And I love this team that's up here. It's easy to stand here and worship and praise God. But when you get out there in the middle of the test, the challenges of life, that's where you really find out whether you praise God or not. That's where you really discover the reality of what's going on within your soul. And change becomes a process God uses to show us who we are and then grow our faith up in ways we never could imagine. And what God wants to do in your life and my life is lead us through a series of tests. And guess what He's going to do? He's going to take that experience of faith within our life And he's going to make it into something very special. He's going to make it into something that we embrace. Not something we just keep in the trunk like a spare tire and pull it out every once in a while whenever we got a problem. He wants to make our faith the center point of our life. But guess what it takes to do that? It takes some tests, some challenges, some transitions, some changes. What begins to happen is we begin to see who we are. But you know what also begins to happen? says in this text, we get the opportunity, now listen to this phrase, to see the glory of God. I know when I say that, you say, what in the world is the glory of God? Okay? Well, they knew what the glory of Egypt was. It's great palaces and, and great structures and golden images. And all the glitter of the world and all the glitter of that. But he's saying, you can have that. You can have that kind of world and you can live as a slave to that won't ever get you anywhere. You can see the glory of the creator of the universe. You can see and know who God is. You can see his purpose in this world, his design for your life. Now, one of the problems in life, now listen carefully to this, is many times in life, we don't really care that much about the glory of God. We just want our problems solved. We just want God to get us out of this situation. We just want God to fix things. I want to just say quite honestly, if that's all you want out of God, he will never be more to you than just a glorified Santa Claus. 
that brings you the gifts that you want out of your list of what you want out of life. He's got something more than that for you and me. He wants to allow us to see His glory and His majesty. Then when we worship this great God, we're not talking about someone else's great God. We're singing about our great God who's transformed our lives and we worship Him in an incredible way. Why? Not because He solved everything for us, but because in the middle of life, He's allowed us to see Him and to know Him. I know when I say that, you ask me, Gary, how do you really know <laughs> whether you are seeking the right thing? In other words, is it how much time we come to church, how much money we give, how many hours we spend in ministry? Well, let me just give you some questions. First of all, as you look at your life, is your focus on your problems or is it on God? I find a lot of people that just get consumed with the difficulties of their life, and they want everybody around them to be consumed with it. Are you consumed with that, or are you consumed with God? Second question, do you want Him to be glorified, or your wants to be satisfied? Do you have a list that God has to give you? Or are you willing to say, God, I want you to be honored in my life? Third question. I don't like this question. Can we wait? Oh, do you like waiting? I don't like waiting any time. I'd rather be going in my car. I'd rather be going the wrong way in a, in a direction and be moving than to be waiting, okay? <laughs> but can I ask you, can you wait on God to do it His way, or do you have to have it right now? You got to have it right now? Mm -hmm. it's a pretty good indicator that when you and I get to that place, that our focus isn't on God, it's on us. Let me ask one other question. Will we praise Him even when the salvation and provision has not happened? Oh. Will we still come to Him and worship when we haven't gotten everything we want? In this particular text, God was trying to teach them how to surrender to Him and to know that if you surrender to me, I'm going to pour out of heaven like you've never seen, stuff in ways you've never seen. But guess what? That isn't going to come until you learn the principle of the surrender of your life to His will. Listen to this text. Now, by the way, we're going to read about 200 verses right here, okay? Quite a few. You're going to have to listen real, real fast to this, okay? Let's begin in verse 13. In the evening, quail came up, covered the land. In the morning, dew labeled around the camp. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, what in the world is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather each one of you as much as you can eat. You shall catch it in one omer according to the number of persons in your tent. And the people of Israel did that. They gathered some more and some gathered less. When they measured out one omer, they gathered, they didn't have anything left over. And whatever was gathered, those who gathered little had no lack. 
Each of them gathered as much as they needed. And Moses said to them, no one shall leave any till the morning. Well, they must have been like Gary Smith. They did not listen. And some left part of it till the morning and breads and worms came in and stunk it up and ate it. Moses was angry with him. Morning by morning, they gathered each as much as he could eat. The sun would grow hot and it would melt on the sixth day. They gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came, told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil. All that's left over, it'll keep when the previously it hadn't. So they laid it aside in the morning. Moses commanded them. It didn't stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat for day what you want, for this is the Sabbath today. You will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather. On the seventh day, you're not supposed to gather. It's the Sabbath. Well, what the seventh day some of the people did? They went out together. They didn't find anything. Moses said, how long? Very interesting question. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Don't go out for the seventh day. So the people rested. Now the house of Israel called this stuff manna. It's like coriander seed, white. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer and let it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread which I fed to you in the wilderness, which I brought to you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of that manna in there, place it before the Lord. It's going to keep throughout the generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate manna, how long? Forty years. So they got to the habitable land. There they had manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now, let me quickly bring this to a close. What you begin to see is some incredible principles about following God. It's a day-by-day thing. I'd like to say, this, Lord, give us this, this month, our daily month of bread. No. It's a daily thing. If, if you think that walking with God is just something you're going to do on a Sunday or every once in a while, you've missed the whole point. The whole point of this in them gathering every day is to be reminded their faith needed an expression every day. And I want to say to you, there is a surrender to the Lord we call salvation. It's the commitment of our lives to Christ and, and Jesus comes to live within our lives and we're not saved again, but day by day, there must be a renewal of that faith and that commitment. It also includes a Sabbath. Now, in the days ahead, Jason is going to preach on the Sabbath, and I promised him not to touch that, okay? But let me just say we need it, all right? God's designed us to be that way. It is a daily experience of obedience, and the principle out of this text is very simple. You rebel against God and you grumble, pain's going to come. You're going to be unhappy with life, circumstances. Everybody around you will know it. Or you can understand the principle of surrender to the will of God. When you surrender to the will of God, you experience the provision of God that's part of the kingdom of God. Let me maybe picture it with this. They're going to put a little image on the board right here right now. This past week, something very exciting happened. The Kansas City Chiefs, 
got the Super Bowl ring that the Dallas Cowboys deserved, all right? Yay! Yeah, and uh, let me tell you about these rings that they got. They're pretty special. There's 629 diamonds in that ring. 35 rubies. You get your name on it. I'm going to steal one from a guy named Smith, okay? You You get all this stuff. But guess what you also get? See that bottom picture down in the right hand corner? You get to be a part of the Chiefs' kingdom. Now, by the way, the Dallas Cowboys got rings like this when they won the championship, but diamonds weren't invented then. It's been so long ago. Okay? Yeah. Uh. But when you wear that ring, when you wear that ring, it is huge. I've seen them before. And you're a part of something pretty special called the Chiefs Kingdom, Kansas City Chiefs, incredible organization. Now, by the way, if you don't have one, there's two ways to get one. First of all, $40,000, get you one in a minute, all right? And uh, I'd have, I have to work two weeks to get that kind of money. So uh, $40,000, okay? Second way to get it, you can be 6'4", weigh 320, and run a 4540. You got a chance. I'm working on the 320, okay? <laughs> Don't know about the other two. And you get to be a part of something pretty special that glitters and shines and the rest of the world wants. Wow. You just follow that path. See if you can get there. But there's another kingdom. That kingdom, it represented by a ring with diamonds and rubies. It's represented by a cross. But guess what that cross says? 2,000 years ago, God loved you and me enough that he sent his son from heaven to this earth to sacrifice his life for us. And his sacrifice for you and me, he gave people like you and me a pathway to his kingdom. I can't get to the chief's kingdom. Oh, my goodness. I can get to God's kingdom, a kingdom that says to me that if I will follow him every day of my life, I will know his presence in my life. And even when the changes and transitions happen and challenges, I don't face those alone. I face with with a God who lives in me. And he is so powerful. He can rain bread out of heaven and quail and meet, meet the needs of His people. And today, we exist as a church for one reason, to present that kingdom to you and me. And we have a choice. We have a choice. We can follow our own way in the glitter of the world's way. And, you know, there's some fun in that. There's some excitement being in that kind of kingdom. Or you can decide to surrender your life to Christ and discover God's kingdom operating in your life in a miraculous way that will not only provide for you, it'll change you from the inside out. And you'll experience something exciting called 
Faith in a God. Faith in a God who can provide everything you need has guaranteed eternity for you, will forgive your sins, and transform your life from the inside out. Wow. Keep all those Super Bowl wings. That's the kingdom I want. Because you know what? That kingdom walks with me every day of my life. Through every change, through every transition, through every challenge. And brings to me something I don't have. Supernatural power of God. Now, we're getting ready to have an invitation time. We don't have any glittering rings for you. We don't have any special gift for you. But we have Jesus to give to you today. He can change your life. Transform your life. There's going to be ministers, men and women here at the front who want to pray with you because some of you this morning, you're in the middle of some incredible challenges and you need God to get you through that. But not only get you through that, help you see Him in the process. What we're going to do in a minute, we're going to stand. When we do, Reggie's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing that song. And these folks are going to be down here at the front ready for you ready to pray with you, ready to help you, ready to see what God would have you to do. Stand with me together as we do. I'm going to pray and then Reggie's going to sing. Father, thank you so much for this day and the truth of your word. How, oh God, it calls us to the real truth and the blessings and to your provision. I pray, oh God, all over this room, you're speaking to hearts that need that today and will come publicly to find their hope and their help in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You come this morning as God speaks to you. Reggie's going to lead us in song. Let God speak, you come. Would you please?